Uh, <laughs> we've been in a series, Heroes and Villains. Heroes and villains, and we've been looking at uh, Bible characters particularly, and, uh, and looking at not just what we often champion them for, which is the highlights of their life, the highlight reel, if you put it that way, but we've actually also been looking at just the very humanity of them, that they are people just like us. And as much as they, their lives get caught up in these great heroic tales of how they delivered or how they stepped out in faith and did amazing things, if you actually look at the whole story, uh, I love how the Bible pulls no punches with just telling it how it is. And you actually see their humanity bleed through their herodom status, in a sense. You actually see that their people just like us. And I think that's really, really important. It's really, really important that we don't let this gap of perception uh, be created between Bible characters that we're called to aspire to their faith and where we're living and thinking like, well, we could never do that, be that, please God like that, walk with God like that, because there seems to be such a gap. And it's amazing that when you actually look at their whole lives and you look at some of the things that maybe were less than great, it actually makes them more relatable for us. And the other thing that I've noticed during this series, which is really funny, is whenever I talk about the fact that we might have some issues, everyone sits there looking at me like, we don't know what you're talking about, Pastor Chris. Every time. Look how quiet it is. All manifested sons and daughters of God. I love it. Uh, and so I'm going to bash on anyway, even if it's just for me. This will encourage me. And we're going to look at Thomas. So we're going to change gears from the Old Testament to a New Testament character over the next couple of weeks. And the first one is Thomas. And I spoke to uh, the 6pm service about Thomas a little while ago. And there's some elements of that message in this. Because I just discovered some things about Thomas that, uh, that are really, really interesting. Now Thomas is one of Jesus' original disciples. And if I was to say to you, uh, when I say Thomas, what is your first thought about Thomas, what would you say? Doubting? Uh, as a matter of fact, we have a, a, a phrase that's been coined in our, our society that goes beyond the walls of the church uh, and people identify that you could be a doubting Doubting Thomas. And so Thomas, it's interesting, has got this label attached to him. And I'd have to say it's, it's most likely been spawned by the church that he is a doubter. And that seems to be the sum total of Thomas's life until you dig a bit deeper, which is what I want to do today. But I think we can all relate to Thomas in this way. It's amazing how one story in your life, one moment in your life, one failure in your life can actually label you for the rest of your life if you're not careful. I reckon a lot of, a lot of people here, if you're a kid in school, you know what I'm talking about. Who loved their nickname? Yeah. One. <laughs> Which is okay because there's always someone who loved their nickname. Most of us don't want to remember it. Most of us were happy to finish school because we got to dump the nickname as we went out the door, but often nicknames were built around one situation, one moment on the football field, or one moment in the classroom, or one moment somewhere 
where a nickname and a label was placed on you and it seems to like stick with you. And I'm going to suggest we've done that to Thomas. We've actually labelled him the doubter and actually there's, we've done it all around one story in Thomas's life. But if you actually look at scripture and you have a bit of a look at Thomas, you'll find that scripture says a lot more about Thomas than that one moment that he struggled with doubt. And as I open this up today, I think we can even redeem that moment of doubt. So let's have a look at Thomas. And and this this week, I'm going to flip it around. We're going to look at the villain side before we go to the hero side. I've been going hero, villain. Now we're going to go villain, hero. You ready for it? Who wants to know about Thomas the villain? Of course, it's a classic story. Thomas struggles to believe in the resurrection of Christ. That's a pretty basic thing that you've got to do to be a disciple of Jesus, you know. And I mean, he is in the original group, so this is pretty embarrassing for Thomas. But we find it, and I think it's in John chapter 20. Let me open my notes. Here we go. John chapter 20, verse 24. And uh, I want to look at some wording here because there's a bit of a play on words. John's a very interesting writer and, you know, the the genre of his writing style is is terminology this long that I can never remember. But he's got an interesting writing style and he's got a lot of, like, metaphor, etc. And a lot of play on words that he uses that have sort of a deeper meaning to people who pay attention. And this is a classic verse for that. It says, now Thomas, and now Thomas literally means twin. It's Chaldean background, but it literally means a twin, one of two. So this is Thomas. That's what his name means. But then John in, you know, basically in our scriptures, it'll be in brackets. It's like a little parenthesis. It's an explanation. He says, also called Didemus. And so Didemus, interestingly enough, means twain, as in two, or twofold, twain or twofold. So there's a really interesting play on words here because John is saying, the writer of the gospel is saying, here's Thomas, his name means twin. He's also known as like twofold, twain. And it's almost like a nod to the fact that there's a couple of different things going on with Thomas right from the start that he's actually quite a complex individual. Far from just being a doubter, there's more to the story. And, and honestly, in that, we should all be able to relate to that. Come on. There's the story we bring and the face we bring to church on a Sunday morning. Sometimes to life group, even though maybe, hopefully, if you're in a life group, it gets a bit more honest and raw there. But there actually can be two things going on yeah. in the one life. I've heard it put this way. It's like uh, you've got two dogs tied up in the backyard. Come on, have we all heard this one? Two dogs tied up in the backyard that fight. Which, which dog's going to win? The one you feed. We've all got two natures going on, two things going on in the background. And so this is how, we're, you know, this is how Thomas comes across through the scripture. And this is not the only place that John phrases it exactly that way. It says, Thomas, one of the twelve, was not with the disciples when Jesus came. He appeared to them in his resurrected form. So the other disciples told him, we've seen the Lord. But he said to them, unless I see the nail marks in his hands and put my finger 
where the nails were and put my hand in his side, I will not believe. I mean, that's how we've suggested he said that. The doubter, the labelled one. I'm not sure that that's the way he said it. What if he said it like this? Unless I see the nail marks in his hands and put my finger where the nails were and put my hand in his side, I I will not believe. I don't want to miss out. What if we actually interpreted the way that Thomas did this? Now, I know we've labelled him. He's the villain. He's the doubter. But what if Thomas is actually just hungry to have the same experience the others have had? What if Thomas is refusing to settle for a second-hand experience? I'm not going to rest my faith on what other people say. I want the same experience. I'm in a room full of people that have had an experience and their faith is up here and my faith is down there and I want what they got. What if it was that? And I'm going to suggest that it was simply based on his whole story rather than just this story because his whole story is a lot bigger than just this story. You know, traditionally we've seen this as faithless. Thomas the doubter, he's doubted, so it's faithless. Think about this. That means we're all in trouble, doesn't it? Because who here has doubts? Does that mean you're faithless? Not necessarily so. As a matter of fact, I'd contend that without doubt, faith can't exist. (laughs) Faith's got to have an option. There's got to be other things. There's got to be fear and concern. Actually, to move in faith, you've got to be going, oh Lord, I'm not really sure about this, but I'm going to step out anyway. (laughs) This could happen or that could happen. I have fears. I have doubts, but I'm going to choose to respond to you anyway. That's faith. Faith is not a lack of doubt. Doubt is literally the black velvet cloth that the diamond of faith is placed on so you can see it properly. Our faith has, come on, I am preaching better than what you guys are. Is anyone here encouraged? Because some of us have thought, man, not only do I have a paradox in my life, I've got two dogs in the backyard and sometimes I'm just hot for God and I'm going for it. And other times I don't know who I am. And I've got doubts. Sometimes I've had brilliant moments of faith, but I have a life full of doubt. And it's like, be encouraged. It's called human experience. (laughs) It's called being just like Thomas. So I think what Thomas is really wrestling with here is he's not going to settle for a secondhand experience. Then the rest of the story goes on. John 20, verse 26, 28. A week later, his disciples were in the house again and Thomas was with them this time. And though the doors were locked, Jesus came and stood among them and said, peace be with you. Now, that's a freak out. So he comes through the wall. Then he said to Thomas, put your finger here. See my hands. Reach out your hand and put it into my side. Stop doubting and believe. Now this And Thomas, of course, says, my Lord and my God, and he's convinced. And just think about how specific, and John John writes it this way, but how specific Jesus answers his exact prayer. I want to do this. I want to put my finger in the nail prints. I want to put my hand in his side. And Jesus says, come, I'm going to answer your prayer so specifically. 
and reveal myself to you. Now, this is interesting going back to the first part. You know, if Jesus was unhappy with his doubt, do you think that Jesus would have answered his prayer? If he thought his prayer was unreasonable, if he thought his prayer was out of line, if he thought his desire to have a personal revelation of Christ was the wrong thing, Jesus didn't have to answer this prayer and yet we see Jesus answer it absolutely specifically. And I just want to contend to us, we've called Thomas a villain, but as a matter of fact, he's got many great traits in his life that we can learn from. Thomas went after Jesus for his own experience and God was so happy to give it to him. If Jesus was displeased with doubt, he wouldn't have answered the prayer. And I tell you what it teaches us. Thomas teaches us it's okay to have doubts about God that need answers. It's okay. You know, because it can be intimidating. You get around people of faith who seem to have it all together, which is quite funny when when I even say it, but we've all been in environments where everyone's acting like it's, it's all together. And it can feel really intimidating, like, you know, I don't want to open my mouth. What's the old saying? It's better to close, keep your mouth closed and be presumed uh, ignorant rather than to open your mouth and remove all doubt. It's some, some sort of an old saying like that. Have you ever been like that in a faith environment where it's like, I have no idea what's going on, but I'm not going to say anything because I'm supposed to know. Yeah. And yet right here, we just see that Thomas tells us it's okay. It's okay to have doubts. It's okay not to know. Um, And without argument, I'm not trying to argue away the fact he had doubts. The problem is we focus on the one part of a far more complex picture. And we're so quick to label doubt failure. And at the end of the day, he had a much bigger picture. I'm wondering about us, about you, whether your life goes back to... One scenario, one incident, one season, one chapter in the book that has actually labelled you and stuck with you and every time you go to rise now to some sense of future, it's like, oh no, but that. And I just want to encourage, honestly, I think God looks at the whole story. If you've had, you may have had a bad chapter, turn the page and start writing another chapter. Maybe you're like one of those books that has sections in it, you know, and each one's got about 10 chapters. You might add a whole bad section two. Time to start writing section three. Your story is bigger than one moment, one failure. And we see it so clearly in Thomas's life. I love Thomas. Here's some other things about Thomas. Thomas the hero. Want to look at Thomas the hero? I'm glad you're still with me. John chapter 11. After he'd said this, he went on to tell them, and this is about the raising of Lazarus. Our friend Lazarus has fallen asleep, but I'm going there to wake him up. And his disciples replied, Lord, if he sleeps, he'll get better. And Jesus had been speaking of his death, but his disciples thought he meant natural sleep. So then he told them plainly, Lazarus is dead and for your sake I'm glad I was not there so that you may believe but let us go to him and here's where Thomas enters this part of the story then Thomas also known here it is as Didymus again said to the rest of the disciples 
let us also go that we may die with him. Have you ever wondered about that scripture? Let us go so we may die with him. The answer is really plainly in the scripture. You just need to read the chapter before, which is often the case in scripture. If you're confused with something, just read the chapter before and after, before you come to a conclusion. Okay, sometimes you need to read the book before. But right here in chapter 10, what's happened is Jesus has just been in Jerusalem. There, it got to the point, the crowd got to the point, stirred by the religious leaders, that they wanted to stone him. They tried to kill Jesus. So he left there, it says, and went to the other side of the Jordan where John had been baptising from the beginning. Now, the Jordan is about 20 miles from Jerusalem. That's a fair hike if you're going by foot, true? 20 miles is a fair way to walk. So Jesus has sort of removed himself from the threat And then he gets news of Lazarus' death. And Lazarus is at Bethany, which is less than two miles from Jerusalem. So what's happening here is Jesus is saying, boys, we're sailing back into the storm. And Thomas is the one who speaks and he picks up on it. But far from doubting, far from being disloyal, far from being fearful, Thomas is the one who says, well, (laughs) okay, (laughs) we've followed him this far, let's die with him. That's Thomas. And you might say there's a bit of a negative bend on that. What I'd say is there's courage in that. Thomas is like, if he wants to sail back toward the storm, I'll row with him. I'll get in the boat, Jesus, wherever you're taking us. It might not be comfortable. It might be fearful. There could be consequences, but off we go. And I go, Thomas. See, there's more to Thomas than one story. What about your life? Come on, there's more to you than one story that speaks of the brokenness of the past or moments in time, words that you wish you could have bitten back out of the air. There's more to your life than that one story. There's the opportunity to keep writing. And then we come to the Last Supper. Another example, John 14. And Jesus is talking to the boys around the table. And this would have been a joyous thing. I mean, Passover... Uh, was the feast where Jesus actually, you know, broke bread with the disciples for the last time, instituted what we understand as communion. And this was a celebration. They were celebrating the redemption of Israel from Egypt. So this is an ancient feast, an ancient ceremony, and it was a time of joy and celebration, remembering what God had done. And it was no different for the disciples. Jesus said himself at the beginning of this passage with fervent desire, I've desired to eat this Passover with you. I'm looking forward to this feast. But then in the middle of that, he begins to tell them what's going to happen to him. That he is going to suffer and die. And then he says this, do not let your hearts be troubled. You believe in God, believe also in me. My father's house has many rooms, and if it were not so, would I have not told you that I'm, would I have told you that I'm going there to prepare a place for you? And if I go and prepare a place for you, I will come back and take you to be with me, that you also may be where I am. You know the way to the place where I'm going. So Jesus is like now reassuring them. He's told them, I'm going to be betrayed into the hands of sinful men. I'm going to be, you know, be crucified. Literally, they're trying to get their head around this and he's reassuring them, don't worry, you're going to be with me. 
And so this, I think, for, uh, you know, for Thomas was like, what is going on? Thomas is the one who says, Lord, we don't know where you're going. So how can we know the way? And Jesus answered, I am the way and the truth and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. So right here you see Thomas is in confusion, misunderstanding. But here's what I love about Thomas. Like you could say, well, Thomas, just have faith. But Thomas wants clarity. Thomas is actually, and Jesus was happy to answer him. Thomas, you've been looking to me all along. Just keep looking to me and it's going to be okay. And so what he wants, and what Thomas teaches is, it's okay to be unclear. It's actually okay to have doubts because that's when your faith shines. It's actually, it's okay to not know what's going on. (laughs) It's okay to ask questions. It's okay to not be totally together. And this would be so different from, you know, maybe some religious environment some of us may have experienced where everyone's pretending they've got all the answers. But no one really does. It's just that everyone's too proud to admit they don't. And I love Thomas because here's absolute humility. Jesus, I know you just said it. Could you say it again? Because I didn't quite get it. Come on, who's ever needed that moment with God? Lord, I know you spoke to me, but would you please speak to my heart again? Because it's really not that clear yet. And here's Thomas. This is his whole story. He's the guy ready to die. He's the guy happy and humble enough to ask the difficult questions. I love the mosaic life of Thomas. It shows us how labelling someone is so unkind and disingenuous and it only ever reveals part of what is a far more complex picture of someone's life. Want to know what happened to Thomas? After the Bible? Now this is church history, uh, but it's pretty well known church history. Church tradition says that he travelled outside the Roman Empire in 52 AD. Okay, 52 AD. Okay, 52 AD. I want us to really just understand that. He travelled outside the Roman Empire in 52 AD. Now, we know that the Roman Empire was a beast. It really was. But it did have a few things going for it. One of it was the Roman peace. One of it was safe passage on highways. You could travel anywhere throughout the Roman Empire and if, uh, if a thief came after you or someone tried to attack you or something, they had to deal with Rome. Which meant, they called it Paxus Romana, but they, they had a Roman peace. It might have been at the edge of a sword, but what it meant is that you could travel. This is why the gospel spread in the first century so prolifically. It was the first time in history that the world had one language, that the world had one road system, and that the world was guaranteed peace by Rome. And the early disciples used it. They moved in the Roman Empire and spread the word of God. But according to tradition, Thomas went outside of Rome. And what was outside of Rome was what we'd probably understand now as barbarianism. Warlords, feudal systems, fiefdoms. And church history goes on to say that Thomas was actually martyred in 72 AD. So 30 years later. He planted churches right across India. Uh, India. A lot of people in India look back to St. Thomas as like the patron saint 
of India, planted churches across India. And then the story goes that he actually converted a queen of one of these many kingdoms. He, con- he converted a queen to Christ and her son, the prince, and several members of the household. And the king was so enraged, he got his men to arrest him. They took him out to a little mountain or a little hill, it's really a hill, uh, in Madras, India, or Chennai now it's called. They took him out there and they speared him to death. And he died on a place that's now called Mount Thomas in Chennai, a place that I visited in 1990. I've actually seen Mount Thomas and Christianity gives its early, the early roots of the gospel gives honour to the guy that we've labelled a doubter for bringing Christ to a nation where he eventually lost his life. Come on, there's a lot more to Thomas's story than what we've been led to believe. And I tell you, what it tells me is there's a lot more to your story too. That your life should not be defined by one poor moment of judgment, that it should not be defined by one story or one label, whether it was given, you know, on the workshop floor or the schoolyard, school classroom, wherever it came from, your life should not be defined by that. Because Thomas, when you look at the whole story of his life, is an absolute champion, a hero, even though we've called him at times a villain. Aren't you glad that there's redemption? I just, Jesus redeems it all. So here's some questions I'd like to ask us about ourselves. Uh, first thing I want to just say, before I ask these questions, I, I think what I've tried to bring through this series is, you know, being human is not a sin. I'm not saying we should surrender to our base desires or, you know, just put up with our foibles and say, well, that's just me. No, no, no. God is always moving us towards a place of wholeness. This is what salvation means. The word sozo in the Greek literally means to be made whole or to be made complete. So I don't think that we should be just going, well, that's just me. I'm a dog and I know it. I don't think we should be living that way, but neither... I think in a Christian environment sometimes, sometimes we feel like we're trying so hard to be what Jesus wants us to be that we're tempted to actually despise our own humanity. And we've always got to remember God created humanity and said it was good. It might be spoilt by sin, but God created it because he wanted it. It was intentional and it's beautiful to him. And that's why he's paid such a high price to let us know he loves us and wants to redeem our lives. So, you know, that's what this message, this whole series is bringing out, I'm hoping in us, is that we need to come to peace with the terms. That at times in our lives, we're we're absolute heroes, we're champions. We're moving in faith, we're living for Jesus, we're shining our light. And occasionally there are bad days. (laughs) There are dark days that might make you question, my goodness, you know, is this worth continuing? Can I say, your story is bigger than just one story. It's bigger than one moment. Here's some questions. First one is, am I quick to judge another person's merits on what is only a partial picture of their life? When we think about people around us, maybe people that we've talked about even just recently, let's really dumb it down to maybe this week and some of the conversations we've had. 
How easy is it to just label someone on a few moments that we've known them? And, and we don't know their whole story. I think we need to ask ourselves that question. How quick am I to judge someone on the merits of one story, one part of their story? Obviously, we need to ask ourselves the same question. Am I quick to write myself off based on less than my whole character? You know, we know our own failure better than anyone, don't we? I think I used the example last week of the the portrait that's been turned into a 1,000-piece jigsaw puzzle. The Mona Lisa in a thousand pieces. But if you leave one piece out, it's the only one you can look at. Imagine the Mona Lisa or a thousand pieces, every piece perfectly there. You've got it all framed, but you're missing the piece that completes a nose. If you looked at that, it's the only thing you're going to see. <laughs> and I think sometimes we're like that with us. We're so quick to see what's missing, <laughs> what's incomplete, what should be there but isn't. How quickly do you sort of write yourself off? before you've actually really given yourself the credit of the whole story. When I'm confused, do I seek clarity or just give up? Come on, are you still humble enough to go, you know what, I don't know, but I want to. And lastly, when I doubt, am I I determined to experience Jesus for myself? When we doubt, it it is the key. I, I tell you, every time in my life where I've ever got to a point where I've said, God, I really need you to reveal yourself to me, to show me, to to somehow turn up in my situation. As we would all know, it doesn't always happen in the timing you would like it. But if I think back over 35 years of following Jesus, I think it's always happened. At some point, he's been happy to come through my circumstances, just like he came through that wall and reveal himself to me in, in, in the way that I needed to see him. So I want to encourage you, you know, if you've, got, if you've got misunderstanding, things you don't understand, be humble enough to admit you don't know it all and it's okay not to know it all. Ask questions. Thomas did. You know, if you're doubting, if you're doubting, you're really wrestling with that. Ask Jesus to show up and reveal himself in your current circumstances the way that you need to see him because he loves to answer prayers like that. Come on, let's stand together this morning. Can we pray together? Just just open our hearts together. Thank you, Father. Lord, we just come to you, Father, we, with whatever's going on in our heart right now. Whatever you've stirred in so many different hearts, different circumstances and situations we face, but I'm sure you've been stirring something unique to us. And Father, we just want to hand it over to you. We want to give it to you. For those of us who need clarity, Lord, we we ask you for clarity. We ask you to to bring understanding to our confusion. For those of us who need courage in the current circumstances, Lord, we just, we meet you at this point of fear and we believe you for the courage to go forward, to sail toward the storm. Father, for those of us who are maybe doubting on the journey, as we go. Lord, I pray our doubts would simply become the backdrop 
for the moment of faith you want us to enter into. And I just pray, just pray, Father, we'd have the courage to just step in faith, maybe towards the unknown. And possibly you're here today and maybe you'd say, look, I've never begun that journey with Jesus, this journey of faith. And I tell you, Thomas speaks to you today. You know, you don't need to have it all together. Uh, You certainly don't need to be some sort of um, inner circle church person to have an experience of Jesus. Thomas is the one that we've, um, we've chastised for a long time. But Jesus was happy to meet him right where he's at. And today you can open your heart to Jesus just right where you are in the simplest of ways. Jesus, I need to see you. I need to know you. I need to, you know, the first big prayer I ever prayed before I was a Christian was, God, if you're real, (laughs) please show me because I was confused. And by the grace of God, he did. So that's not a bad prayer to pray if if you've yet to join your life to Christ. You can open your heart right now. And if we can help empower that journey, we want to do that. James will tell us about it. Thanks, everyone. Let's thank Pastor Chris.